Hello, and welcome to The Rewatchables. Sometimes there are podcasters. <laughs> I won't say heroes, because what's a hero? But sometimes there are podcasters, and I'm talking about Sean Fennessy, Jason Concepcion, and David Shoemaker, and myself, Chris Ryan, and we are here to talk about the 1998 yes. classic, The Big Lebowski, This is The Rewatchables. I received this ransom note. Big men. They want you to take the money. They knocked his courier. What do you mean, man? Big crime. Why should we settle for 20 grand when we can keep the entire million? Big trouble. Where's my money? Where's the money? We chased the money. The Big Lebowski. (laughs) On March 6th, from the creators of Fargo, comes the story of a ransom gone wrong. You got any leads? Leads. (laughs) And the two friends who will do anything to solve it. Laughable, man. (laughs) The Big Lebowski, rated R. Guys, this one really means a lot. Yeah, I think for the people at this table, I would get—I would venture to say that this is the most rewatched movie among the four of us. That's a—that's a great call. You're already throwing rocks. Let's I go. Just, I just—I just—I wouldn't be surprised if we put it all together. I asked Jason today how many times do you think you've seen this movie. Seven hundred. Seven hundred times. Yeah. I think that this movie has literally been on in some form or another in my various homes in various cities in various countries for twenty years. The Big Lebowski was released in 1998, 20 years ago to this week. We're recording this on March 7th. It was released yesterday. Written, produced, edited, and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. It stars Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Steve Buscemi, John Turturro, David Thewlis, Sam Elliott, Ben Gazaris, Peter Stormar, Tara Reid, and David Huddlestone in one of maybe the best ensembles I've ever seen assembled. Yeah. Cinematography by Roger Deakins, who just picked up his Oscar after... Losing out on 13 different nominations. That's right. Carter Burwell did the music, but the music supervision, the soundtrack was music supervised by T-Bone Burnett. It is one of the iconic movie soundtracks of the 1990s, along with Days of Confused, Goodfellas, Juice. It's a mystery. It's a comedy. It's a stoner philosophy text. It is probably the most purely enjoyable Coen Brothers movie, sure. I would say, even though at the time... It was viewed as something of a failure. I think it immediately found its audience, and that audience grew. So they found a a small core audience, and that audience grew. But it was coming off of the back of Fargo, which had been uh, the Coen brothers' critical and commercial sort of high watermark. And I think a lot of people expected them to sort of keep moving towards the the prestige, keep moving towards awards fair. Uh, And instead, they made this weird comedy, this weird movie, set in the early 90s about a stoner, unemployed, like, bowling philosopher, his Mm -hmm. buddies, a missing woman, the porn industry, modern art, and everything else you could possibly think of. Uh, It was obviously influenced very much by Raymond Chandler. Um, The the fiction of Raymond Chandler, mystery fiction of Raymond Chandler. It's also influenced by the adaptions of Raymond Chandler's work, like Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. I want to hear from you guys. When was the first time you saw it? And, and do you remember if it was immediately connected with you, Jason? In 1997-98, I worked at a movie theater, so I saw every movie released that year. Every movie. Great great year to be working in a movie theater. Seriously. From the hits to the, the smaller movies, Run, Lola, Run, Titanic, Saving Private Ryan. I saw this uh, at the Nickelodeon movie theater, and I was like, I was blown away. I remember thinking being semi-disappointed in the ending, but I was like, that was incredible. That was one of the greatest, funniest movies I've ever seen. Jeff Bridges also, we forget now, 
did not look like this at the time. <laughs> yes. like, yeah. No, that was like a shock to see him like this. Also, uh, no movie, no piece of culture has done more to uh, damage the resume of the Eagles than this movie. Mm. <laughs> or <laughs> prop them up as yeah. this sort of like nightbird flying over Los Angeles. What do you think? What was your, what was your first experience with this movie, Sean? It definitely wasn't in a movie theater. I remember being uh, a very avid Entertainment Weekly reader at this time and the response in Entertainment Weekly to this movie being like, man, the Coens really misfired after yeah. Fargo. Yeah. They screwed yeah. it up. They had all this momentum and then they made this dumb bowling curio and I was like okay I guess I'll wait for VHS, VHS you know? and, <laughs> yeah. and I did wait for VHS and I, I think I, I'm almost certain I rented it from Blockbuster the week it came out and didn't get it and then watched it a second time and the second time I was like top five movie ever made yeah, yeah. um and, and I have basically felt that way for a long time. Yeah, and you've yeah. continued to watch it. It's been on cable. Every, I think this is one of those movies that gets purchased on every format yeah. Yeah. As, it, as it comes out. It doesn't matter you know, I, I how many times night, you've earned, owned it. I learned last night that uh, my, my DVD, which I purchased in 1999, no longer works. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I burned it out. Yeah. Is there a Blu-ray of this? Is there like a good Blu-ray of this? I just don't own it. Yeah. Shoemaker, what about you? I saw this in the theater with my dad. Uh, it was just the two of us, uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure I was. I'm sure I was home from home from college. You know, just like a summer thing. Was it a summer movie or winter? It was a. I guess it came it out was in spring, March. Spring. So I, don't know, I guess I was home for some reason. Spring break for David Shoemaker. Um, yeah, this is a great a great journey. But I, I just, um, you know, this was obviously the first time. This was this was among the first movies that I was kind of cognizant of on a slightly elevated level. Um, but this is definitely one of the first movie, probably the first movie going experience that I remember where a movie just sort of washed over me, like in a good way, like a, you know, oncoming cloud of smoke and uh, just sort of enveloped <laughs> me. And, and, and um, like my initial takeaways were, were almost entirely like emotional, you know, I mean, really? it was not, not in like a, not like a, it was an emotionally intense movie, but I remember just feeling like, like I was like just being of a piece with the movie, you know, it was, it was just such a, just such a, like a beautifully constructed little simple world that was totally foreign to me. At we'll, the time. we'll talk a lot about the world that this movie builds. I, I actually uh, saw this movie. I think it was Easter weekend in Vienna. And <laughs> uh, I was like, I was uh, doing my year abroad, uh, my semester abroad. And uh, we were on a, we were on spring vacation. I was going to school in Cork, Ireland and we were on our spring, Spring break, which is actually quite long in Ireland. Shout out to shout out to Ireland. It's an and incredible three. You're, you're like so a, you're like the the protagonist in a Graham Greene novel. I, right I know. Uh, so we there's not a lot to do in Vienna over Easter weekend. Most of Europe like shuts down. And uh, but this movie was out, and I was like, I I like the Coen Brothers. Like, and I got me and my friend went and saw it. And uh, let me tell you, the nihilist jokes play a little different in Austria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I was like Robert De Niro in Cape Fear, just like <laughs> in the back of the theater and everybody else is completely quiet. Um, it does bring me to this idea, though, that, uh, you know, to, for what the Bill Murray classics of the early 80s were to people of a young, like a slightly older generation than mm. us, I think that this movie is one of the great lines movies. And yeah. we'll get to the best quotes, but... One of the things that rewatchable movies start to do is they become indistinguishable from the way you talk and yeah. the way you think and the like you start to see situations as that's over the line or, you know, like you start to kind of articulate things as if you were a character in these movies. I think it's like this. What else would it be like? 
you know, obviously Stripes and Caddyshack and Ghostbusters were movies for... Yeah, for, I think Days and Confused is like this yeah. too. Yeah. 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 Know, with all right, all right, all right, and stuff like that. There's, there's a... Pulp Fiction's kind of like yeah, that. Yes. You know, like some of the early Tarantino stuff is kind of like that. But I always love lines movies. Do you do you have one of those where you just like find yourself uttering dialogue? I'm not, no, I'm not a lines quoter. And that's actually one of my biggest th- problems with this movie is I, f- I mean, I don't know if it's just that I... <laughs> no, and I, I think the movie the movie's brilliantly made. Yeah. But, but I think that my opinion of the movie goes like it, overall is affected by the amount of, of people I hear quoting the lines sure. throughout my life. And it's become... And, and not in a yeah. positive way. It's taken on this whole second life as, you know, yes. a, has convention. You know, there are people who sort of like model their life around what the dude says in this movie for better or for worse. I'm sure they're very happy, but this is anecdotal, but hanging out with musicians in the late 90s and early aughts, this was like in every van and on every bus. Yeah. (laughs) Big Lebowski was like the movie people watched. That and Spinal Tap was the movie band people watched. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing that's interesting about movies when you rewatch them at the, especially at the clip that we've probably all seen this, is that the actual narrative arc of the movie starts to become opaque, to say the <laughs> least. And this movie really lends itself to that because yeah. I, I was surprised about the order of scenes. Like, I watched yeah. it again last night, and I was like, oh, that happens this early? Mm-hmm. Or that happens this late? Yeah. And, oh, the Larry scene right. is, like, way later than I thought it was. And, you know, the end of this movie does get a little bit murky and kind of, but it... it it's funny how it is kind of like a stoner dream in a way. There is really no end to this movie. No. And then stuff happens multiple times. The Jackie Treehorn thugs <laughs> come to his apartment, the yeah. dude's apartment, like three or three times, <laughs> yeah. and it's hard to tell which time happens when the ferret happens, and that's the nihilists, actually. Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that kind of interweaves. Yeah, I have a theory that the whole movie is about, like, echoes and acid flashbacks. Yes. You know, uh-huh. there's this yeah. great tick in the movie where whenever the dude hears someone say something, like right at the top when he hears George H.W. Bush say, this aggression will not stand in Kuwait, and then later he's talking to the Big Lebowski, and he says, this aggression will not stand, man. And he keeps like taking sentences that he hears and then misplacing them out of context in the same way that you know the nihilists, the 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 Jackie Treehorn thugs come back, the nihilists come back. There's all of these like, did we already see this? Didn't this already happen? Like, where am I? Where am I in the story? This like intentional confusion that feels the way that a 48-year-old stoner would probably feel all day. Yeah, and you have no idea what time of day it is when they're in the bowling alley. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, they're oh, all sure. smoking and drinking Miller, but you're like, but it could be like 10 in the morning or right. it could be like 3 in the morning. I wouldn't be surprised either way. Absolutely. Um, that brings me to an interesting point, which is that this, for as much as it spawned uh, conventions, it spawned, obviously, like, countless uh, guys thinking they're hilarious at parties by quoting it. It also has a couple, there's a couple of theories about What's happening in this movie? What the movie is ultimately about? And I, I thought before we got into the nitty gritty into the um, the awards and everything, I wanted to hear if you guys had any ideas about what this movie's really about. Shoemaker, we were chatting a little bit about this. Yeah, well, you were we were like texting last night, and and I told you I was trying to talk myself into the theory that Donnie didn't exist. Well, that Donnie and Walter don't exist. <laughs> yeah. The more popular one is that Donnie is a figment of Walter's imagination. But I, I was that. trying to wrap my head around what if neither of them actually exist. <laughs> and they're just sort of like like the hidden ego or whatever, or like the, the good angel and the bad angel sitting on sitting on dude's shoulders. Um, I mean, I think ultimately, obviously the, the Coen brothers have dismissed any like, you know, brought any, any sort yeah. of like fancy interpretation of the film. But I think that like their intention doesn't matter. I, I for some reason I was thinking about Game of Thrones 
watch nice. Concepcion perk up. Because people always try to do these like giant meta readings of it, like yeah. this is just based in Norse mythology, or right. it's the War of the Roses, or whatever. When in fact, probably what happened is is George R. R. Martin's just taking, will just like read a paragraph on Wikipedia and be like, yes, that'll help me drive this chapter of my book. And yeah. then sort of weaves its way into the rest yeah. of the story. And I think a lot of Lebowski is just like these I, like little snippets of ideas, be it like, mm absurdism in Camus or, yeah, yeah. or you know, the Iraq first Iraq war or like whatever. I mean, I think there's just lots of little pieces that, and, and at the end of the day, going back to what Sean said, I think it really is just a, 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 a kind of treatise on sort of the creative process, you know, in movie making. Even, I mean, that's what you could say that about a lot of them. But, I, but I, even that, I'm, I don't think is like, was their intention. I just sort of think that that's, that they just sort of looked at like the literal absurdism of something like the big sleep and they just tr- yeah. and and through that they sort of ended up telling a story about you know making that movie yeah Joe Cohen on the DVD extras for one of one of the versions of this movie said the plot is sort of secondary to the other things that are going on in this piece I think that people get a little confused it's not necessarily going to get in the way of them enjoying the movie you know it, that kind of harkens back to William Faulkner frantically <laughs> uh, wiring Raymond Chandler to ask like who kills somebody at the end of the big sleep and Chandler's just like I don't don't know know. (laughs) Um, Sean do you have any theories about what this is about the Coen brother movies they're blank slate you can put what you want on them yeah I don't have like some big metaphorical theory but I do think it's an interesting ode to the capital of unemployed people with nothing to do you know Los Angeles Mm. is just full of people who work in these transient industries and they're just like not working and no one's working in this movie. Yeah. No one has a job. Yeah. Like everyone is either wandering about bowling or making porn. Like there's just no, <laughs> yeah. there, there's no working work on their dance where, cycle. where is that yeah. Los Angeles? Yeah. Can we get back to that? Exactly. Yeah. That, is, that is totally true. And one of my biggest, I mean, having being a relatively new Los Angeles transplant, one of the, one of like the most shocking things to me was how all of the, all of the things that I would see in TV and movies that I thought were just fabrications of the movie industry. Actually, that's how they exist in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like you'd see like, I remember you, how many TV shows and movies have I watched? I'm just like, that's not what a sports bar, that's not what a dive bar looks like. And then you go out like your first night and you're like, oh, this is what a dive bar looks like here. And it's true. <laughs> the the movie definitely takes on a different re- like relevance when you're in L.A. and you see these people around uh, all the time. Yeah, I found myself being like, where on the 210 is that in Simi Valley? Like, I, yeah. it, it has a new resonance, too, if you're a Los Angeles resident. It, I think that's also what you're saying is why it speaks to people who are in and around college when it came out. Because... Yeah. I mean, my, I had a job that was literally stand in a record store for upwards of six hours. I had no phone. There was no phone to look at. I would listen to music and watch people and stare out the window. And that was it. And then, like, this is that was a kind of life that you could have. And I think that, that this movie really <laughs> captures that, this kind of, like, ambling yeah. aimlessness. Do you have any, any like, readings of this movie? I do. It's, it reminds me a lot of Cutter's Way. You guys seen yes. Cutter's Way? Yeah. Another Jeff Bridges neo-noir movie. And... To me, both those movies are about like the shrinking ambitions of the baby boomer generation. You know, they were like, "We're going to change the world. We're going to destroy sexual mores, free love, a wide open political system." And then it's just like, actually, we're just going to get high and and bull. Yeah. And the people who make money are still going to win. They're going to they're going to sell bodies and make porn, and I'm going to sit around and uh, complain about the Eagles 
smoke weed. Yeah. Maybe steal a rug. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe steal a rug and bowl. Like, that's it. Yeah. It's interesting. Cutter's way is a lot like that. The Cutter character in that movie is a lot more strident and racist and, like, mean. But it's kind of the same movie about, like, the failure of that generation to really do anything of substance. I don't know why they made this movie. I, there's a lot of, uh, you know, when you, you can read... S- stuff about Barton Fink yeah. or about Hail Caesar even recently where you can do these deep sort of symbolic readings. There's like an entire theory that Barton Fink is about the rise of fascism. Hmm. There are theories that, that the Big Lebowski is a an allegory about U.S. foreign policy. <laughs> uh, and I guess there, I have been convinced that it could be, but I don't think that, there's such gnomic filmmakers. They're so hard to read. They don't yeah. give you anything in the press. They don't come out and say this is what this movie's about. And they're so prolific, so so hard to chart what they're doing that, you know, there's a popular theory that Lewin Davis is about the cat. You know what I mean? There's like an entire thing where it's like it's a dream the cat is having or something. I don't really think that they would make a movie about a dream that a cat was having. But that's what's sort of cool about Coen Brothers movies. It does what make a lot of them so rewatchable is that there's so many different ways to read them. Yeah, I think there is at least... This is part of a triumvirate of Coen Brothers movies with A Serious Man and Lewin Davis that is essentially about the 60s and the 70s and everything that happened in that era and, like, what the consequences are. Yeah. And essentially what happens to people who aren't ambitious enough, you know, like, yeah. and whether they – how they're victimized by society. Mm. That, whether that's, like, intent, it's, it's impossible to say. Like you said, they're so gnomic. They would never clarify, like, that's, of course, what I mean. But if you look at the protagonists of all three of those movies – they just kind of let things happen to them. Yeah. And yeah. anytime they try, they get punished for it. Right. And there is something that is totally to Jason's point about like what that generation thought it was and what it turned out to be. And these guys are just people. I mean, they make movies about things that they find interesting and amusing. Yeah. Shoemaker, yeah. you were talking about borrowing stuff. I mean, these the, the, a lot of the characters in this movie are composites of guys that they met when financing and producing Blood Simple, yeah. their first feature. Uh, Walter, there's a lot of Walter is based on John Milius, the filmmaker. <laughs> the, the best. The and filmmaker, a gun nut. Yeah, a, a gun nut <laughs> filmmaker who wrote a version of Apocalypse Now that Francis Ford Coppola picked and chose what he used from. Yeah. But isn't if you've ever seen the making of Apocalypse Now, it's called Hearts of Darkness. Milius is amazing in this. Like, it is just like an amazing, amazing person. But these are just guys that they met and they kind of like pulled these little strings together and, and did what they did with it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, you could see, I mean, I, I I went obviously down a rabbit hole, like in preparation for this, as I'm sure we all did. Um, yeah. But there's lots of videos of the, you know, the characters that these people were, I mean, it's almost like my f- reference is like the Kramer reality tour that, yeah. went, that happened in New York <laughs> after Seinfeld took off. But, um, but yeah, it's just all these little, all of these just threads that they pulled together into this, you know, one uh, pseudo story, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's it, like 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 you said, the story is totally secondary. Yeah, I mean, it's there's stuff about Brother War out there where it's like, oh, it's this yeah. is this is Homer, this is the Odyssey. It's like, well, yeah, well, the, most stories that, are, yeah. you know what <laughs> I mean? This this is Alice in Wonderland. Well, most stories are Alice in Wonderland right. without detouring too far into into Oh Brother, which is my favorite Coen oh, Brothers is it? movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but it's that that actually is the one that puts the lie to all of their sort of uh, the, the Coen Brothers denial that any of their movies mean anything because oh, yeah. it's so clearly based. Sure. You know, on source material. But I don't think that that's necessarily, you know, one thing or the other. I just love the existence of this movie in yeah. their in, in their body of oh, work. Oh, yeah. Where does this rank for you among their films? Definitely top five. Okay. Probably fourth, I would say. It's a little hard to do off the top of my head. A Serious Man's always been my favorite since I saw it. I think that that's like the mm-hmm. sum total of what they're driving at, which yeah. is like 
yeah we're fucked like that is <laughs> well even in their funniest moments that's yeah. the the overweening thesis um but it's top five for sure. I've, I've definitely seen it the most. Out yeah, of all I think I've seen this this and Miller's the most. And Miller's, and I think it goes one, two, these these two for, for me. Yeah, I think it's top three. Like the, the more kind of screwball-y, Preston Sturgis-y stuff that they do. Like uh, Hudsucker. Raising Arizona, yeah. Hudsucker. Mm-hmm. Um, and this are are my favorite Coen Brothers stuff. That's yeah. that's my favorite stuff that they do. Hudsucker, I think, is really, is one of those movies that's like so underrated now. I totally agree. All right, we're going to get to the awards uh, and let's start our awards with Casting What Ifs, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. This is Casting What Ifs, brought to you by ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Talent is really important in films and for your business. And ZipRecruiter matches the right job seeker to the right job, just like an actor finds the right part. ZipRecruiter is the ultimate casting agent for your job, and ZipRecruiter makes it so that you don't have to wonder what if. So let's do Casting What Ifs for the role of Jeffrey Lebowski in The Big Lebowski. There's not a lot of what ifs for The Big Lebowski, but there's one role that they, the Coen brothers considered a bunch of different people for. Uh-huh. And it's kind of fascinating to imagine what would have happened. The Goodman role was written for Goodman. The Buscemi role was written for Buscemi. But for the, the part of Jeffrey Lebowski, not the dude, but Jeffrey Lebowski. The big Lebowski. Their dream part was Marlon Brando. Their dream <laughs> actor was Marlon Brando. I can't imagine what would have happened if Marlon Brando was like, get a job, sir. Yeah. It, that, that, it would have been really incredible. It would have been a very different movie. I, and also, Brando's so notorious for uh, changing things on the set and for improvising and for somewhat slowing down production that I'm, I'm, I'm sort of glad that this movie didn't get you know, waylaid the way The Island of Dr. Moreau did by Marlon Brando. <laughs> totally agree. This, the, the, this whole script for this movie was very deliberate. And yeah. it was filmed, it's apparently filmed like word for word from what they wrote. I so. have to imagine. They're pretty, they're pretty tight with it. So the other guys considered for the Jeffrey Lebrowski role, Robert Duvall apparently didn't care for the script. He would have been great. He would have been awesome. Anthony Hopkins didn't want to play an American. Would you consider, I guess Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter is not technically an american i don't really know he's post he's he's post land of origin as far as i'm concerned anthony hopkins would have been pretty pretty wild gene hackman was also considered but he was taking a break from acting then they had this b-list apparently that included these these interesting names norman mailer (laughs) famous american novelist i actually think this would have been he would have been an incredible jackie treehorn Oh, yeah. Oh, he, he would have been very good at that. Uh, George C. Scott. Wow, okay. Jerry Falwell. That great guy. Kind of I like speaks that. Speaks for himself. <laughs> Gore Vidal, which I think would have been perfect. Yeah. Is it, what, these, okay. Are there other ones? Andy Griffith. All right. William F. Buckley. I don't under, like. Wh- these are just guys they had on a list that they <laughs> were thinking about. Oh, my gosh. George Plimpton feels so left out <laughs> right now. I don't Ernest, Ernest Borgnine is the last one. Oh, man. Well, I mean, Ernest Borgnine, I think, would have been fine. I think they landed at the right place. They ended up with David Huddlestone. So, like, a good employer finds a good employee. The Coen brothers found their Jeffrey Lebowski. The Casting What If segment is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. You can try it for free today at ZipRecruiter.com slash rewatch. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash rewatch. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. That was Casting What Ifs brought to you by ZipRecruiter. And we're going to go into most rewatchable scene now, guys. This is one of the hardest categories I could, I've addressed since I have been doing these podcasts. I, I don't I don't know if any scene, any movie has more 
scenes that are rewatchable, also scenes that bleed into another scene that's rewatchable. So I don't know really where to draw the line on certain things. I, I want to just throw a couple of nominees out there. You guys obviously come with your own. Uh, the pre-credits -credit and credit sequence. Basically yeah. the first time yeah. the guys come to his house, uh, pee on his rug, yeah. and then the, the hard cut to the man and me. Bob Dylan and the, the slow motion bull. I mean, you are immediately drawn into this like dreamlike state of this movie. It's like you're completely in the world of this movie as soon as that credit sequence starts. Mm -hmm. um, another one is um, Over the Line, obviously the smoky scene, Jimmy Dale Gilmore. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you don't fuck with the Jesus, no, the Totoro, just like the full Totoro scene. Let me tell you something, Pandeo. You pull any of your crazy shit with us, you flash a piece out on the lanes, I'll take it away from you and stick it up your ass and pull the fucking trigger till it goes click. Jesus. You said it, man. Nobody fucks with the Jesus. The scene at the bowling alley, fuck the tournament, but then the dude's conversation with the stranger with Sam Elliott mm. and um, the the forget about the toe diner scene. Uh, there's so many others, so I just yeah. almost want to hear what you guys would nominate before we vote. When the dude tells Walter and Donnie about the guys coming to his apartment and yeah. peeing on his rug and there's that... Uh, Walter, the Chinaman peed on my rug and then Walter goes off on that the whole thing about... Uh, there's the over the line thing, and then all, all of a sudden he's like, dude, Chinaman is not the accepted nomenclature anymore. <laughs> and then the dude has uh, my, maybe my favorite line in that piece is, we're not talking about the guys who built the railroad or something. <laughs> I'm talking about drawing a line in the sand, dude, across this line. You do not. Also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. Asian American, please. Walter, this isn't a guy who built the railroads here. This is a guy. What the fuck are you Walter, he peed on my rug. He peed on the dude's rug. Donnie, you're out of your element. Dude, the Chinaman is not the issue here. Uh, there's also a great callback to that scene in the next scene, <laughs> the next scene which yeah. is one of my favorite scenes, which is basically the introduction of Brandt and then the introduction of the Big Lebowski. And then the, the Big Lebowski says... Uh, some Chinaman took them from me in Korea, referring to as a <laughs> So it's like we've got a reference to the word Chinaman twice in six minutes. Um, that would be my nomination. I, like, Hoffman is unbelievably funny yeah, in this so movie. Funny. The way yeah. he slaps his thighs. Oh, so good. And he, whenever yeah. he, like, drops his, raises his arm and, like, drops his yes. head to indicate something, all of his body movements, his, his the, the the repetition he has in his phrasing, all yeah. that stuff. And then when he has the showdown with the, with the Big Lebowski who, who says, you know, um, essentially lectures the dude and right. the, yeah. the condolences, the bums lost. Get a job, you know, get sir. Get a job, sir. Yeah. Like all of the, that stuff. I was actually going to say the same scene and not and, and was surprised that you took it, but my uh, mine for a different reason, sort of. I, all of the performances were incredible, but there's something about the variation in volume in the movie that is, yeah. I think, if it, if it weren't for characters, uh, I mean, actors like John Goodman and Big Lebowski and everything, they that you would get, you would doze off, sort of. So mm -hmm. it needs this this incredible variance. But that's not my, that's not what I dig about the movie. You know, I mean, it's, wait. So you're saying it's like a like a pixie song? It's like a quiet, <laughs> yeah, song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without the without like the yeah the crushing chords, you would just sort of it would be great background music. Um, but the light, but the really soft parts are my favorite parts. So I mean, like when I think about the movie, I think of I think of the dude in the bathtub. You know, but that's yeah. but there's not a lot of there there. As far as like substance of the movie, that first scene where he meets Lebowski, Big Lebowski, 
for me strikes that perfect it's that perfect balancing act of like this incredible volume and anxiety on one side and just the blissed out dude on the other side trying to come to terms with this like this is the fir- the first time I mean the the guy's coming to his house and 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 pee on his rug but he's you see him actively <laughs> trying to make sense of this world of which he is com- to which he's completely alien right yeah. he's so nonplussed to every confrontation I know. you know just, obviously yeah. you are not a golfer you know like oh, he's God. so calm <laughs> at every moment yeah. <laughs> at least at least his house broken yeah. <laughs> uh yeah, I think my my favorite is over the line just because the violence that's kind of right underneath oh, of that yeah. scene and the fact that he pulls a piece and it's just like, Walter, man, why yeah. do you have a piece? Put the piece away, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like... A world of pain. Look, dude, I, this is your partner. Is the whole world gone crazy? Am I the only one around here who gives a shit about the rules? Market zero. They're calling the cops, man. Put the piece away. Market zero. Walter, put the piece away. Walter? You think I'm fucking around here? Market zero. I think what's cool about that is it also is like we've been talking a lot about like this idea of like these kind of people and probably we were these people at some point. We definitely knew people like this, but like a guy like the dude would know a guy who has a piece. And, and calls it a piece. And calls it a piece and maybe pulls it <laughs> when he shouldn't. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. at bowling because Smokey stepped over the line. And it's just like all the stuff about like league bylaws. And and like he's like, come on, man, it's Smokey. It's just like who cares? I That's that's still my most rewatchable scene, just the way that thing jumps up a notch. Uh, so any any other any strong feelings otherwise? Or were you guys go, go for that? I, did, I said this to you before we started recording. This whole movie uh, – and probably differently than every other movie that this podcast will cover. Just it just like sort of flows in and out yes. of itself, and it's really hard to pull one mm-hmm. scene out, to yeah. pull even to pull one line out or one acting performance out because it's all just it's all just this like I said before, like this cloud that yeah. washes over you. I have two little quick ones that are sure. fun that I was reminded of last night. One when the dude meets Knox Harrington for the first yes. time, oh, David, Thulis. David Thewlis, oh, and he's God. like Sandra from Biennale <laughs> and all that stuff. Like all, all of that stuff, whatever the hell David Thewlis is doing, yeah, is unri- he's like speaking German and, and laughing. Yeah, like all that I also stuff just love like, do you want to drink the bars over there? And it's just yeah. like, right, and for some reason. uh my wife pointed out to me last night that the bar, they all have toppers on all the bottles. Yeah. So it's like, it is looks like a bar, but they're in a, an apartment. Also, how many people still had Kahlua, like, in their house? Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess. Like, <laughs> I grew up in a Kahlua house, so that was resonant. Yeah. Then the other one is um, when he confronts John Polito. Yeah. And, you know, they identify that they're both uh, detec- detectives, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, right. and he's like, I'm a, bro- I'm a brother Seamus, like you. I'm a private dick. And... That that I think I saw it like the eighth time, and I was like, "Oh, this is Raymond Chandler." I don't think I really got it until several viewings later because what John Polito is somehow like John Polito and Maude Lebowski's accent are trapped in a Bogart movie, mm-hmm. and everything mm. else yeah. is some Altman reflection of a Bogart right. movie. Yeah. So I, I also just really like that as like a very specific callback. All the phraseology that Polito's character uses. There's some fun Reddit threads about the idea that everybody in this movie knows they're in a movie mm-hmm. with yeah, the I mean, exception of Donnie that everybody in this movie is like I am I am an archetype yeah. you know and that mm. that the dude knows that he is like the 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 Bogart character who keeps getting beat up and that you know Walter knows that he is like a, a war veteran like what everybody knows like what they're doing um, all right. Well, it's it's almost impossible to pick a rewatchable yeah. scene with a movie this rewatchable. But let's talk about what aged the best, because <laughs> oh, yeah. as I said to Jason before, right as we were walking in here, if you told me this movie was made last year, I would believe you. Yeah, hundred percent. Yes, hundred percent. Which I don't know whether it speaks more to 
the Coen brothers are just like so they just do what they do so perfectly that it never ages. Yeah. Or this movie was so influential on how dialogue and comedy and visual comedy is sort of played. Like, yeah. I think that this movie is influential on something like Step Brothers. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and the way in which these scenes play out and kind of, like, escalate within the moment. And there's lots of masters of three characters yeah. sitting together. And it's so artfully done, but it... I, I never feel like, oh, this is kind of like... Uh, you know, this, this is not, not aged well. But, like, let's talk about what's aged the best. The dialogue... Yes. The setting, mm-hmm. the music, or the mystery, I guess. You know, the, the sort of basically the, the plot itself. This is a really hard thing to answer yeah. because my takeaway from watching it last night was for the first time I felt very emotionally connected to the story, which I don't think wow. I did as like a college student. You know, the no, college no student, yeah. I, was, I was laughing and it, it was a great movie to have on in the background while you were pre-gaming before you went out. That was, what, that was, that was the identity of this movie. And so I think like in a way the characters – and that moment after they eulog- after uh, Walter eulogizes yeah. Donnie, and then he accidentally throws the ashes in his face, and they're upset, and then they hug, and then they say, "Let's go bowling." I was like, "Really? I really care yeah, about these guys. Yeah. Like, I'm really in. I'm in this." And that feels ridiculous given the circumstances in the movie, and also the fact that the Coen Brothers. I'm pretty sure, are like, you're a moron for caring about these guys. Oh, sure. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I do. But I, I did feel very like connected to the consequences of the story. Yeah. And yeah. I, I never felt that before watching the movie. For me, it's just the Coen's ability to create a story that exists outside of uh, like fads and signifiers. You know, like if you were going to make a movie and. Like I wanted, I want people to understand where it's taking place. You'd put a cell phone in there. You put yeah. a computer in there. Someone mm-hmm. would send an email. There's none of that in this. It's tied to a time and place. The '90s. You get the George Bush clips sure. and stuff like that. But it kind of floats outside of all of that stuff. There's there's uh, there's no gadget or thing in this movie that is like, oh wow, you know that's. That's a Motorola Razor, so this took place in whatever. Yeah, you know, it it the story exists outside of that. I think to me, like the timelessness of the movie is what's timeless about the movie. Totally agree. I, I mean, I, it's it's hard it's it's hard to to say anything else than that. I mean, yeah. you said if you told me the movie came out last year, I'd believe it. If you told me the movie came out in like 1988 yeah. or something, yeah. I would yeah. believe it. And there's something about. I mean, I, I'm not you know I'm I'm not the the film head uh, that other people at this table are, but like. There is a. I mean, I, I. I feel like the way the movie was shot was deliberately, um, sort of sandbagging a little bit. Like at mm. least, especially in the first half, you. It looks like an. It, it has the film quality and the some of the shot selection of like an eighties NBC drama. Like there's not. <laughs> there's not like the, the idea that Deacons did this, you right. know, and then and now and most recently we've seen him doing Blade Runner twenty forty nine is just mind boggling. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. But then once you get sort of seduced by the movie and the and and not even the dream sequences, which I could I'm kind of neither here nor there for me, but the but the just the as the movie kind of expands into the closing acts, you realize that this is like an incredible. I mean, just it's the. Everything is very deliberate, I guess. Yeah, the idea of Deacons shooting the bowling alley scenes are just, it's just so funny to me to think about the guy who is also doing Sicario being yeah. like, all right, let's make sure we can get like Jimmy Dale Gilmore's like foot right here. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would agree with you guys. I think it, there's something about the setting and specifically the places it chooses to be yeah. set. So 
bowling alleys haven't changed in 45 years. Exactly. There are some new ones that are like, it's trance music and like, you know, you can order your drinks from the screen. These are my kinds of bowling alleys. These bowling alleys, we have all been to these bowling alleys in Texas and Long Island and Philadelphia. Like this, these places still exist. They still smell of cigarette smoke and aerosol that you spray on shoes to disinfect them. The supermarket that he goes into is just is just a Ralph's. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it still looks like that in there. You know, it's like that's every- another joke that I get now. By the way, for I know, right? that I didn't get when the Malibu <laughs> chief has him, and he's, his only idea is yeah. Ralph's card. And oh, I was yeah. just like, oh, right now I know what Ralph's is. I thought that was a fake thing that they made up. And Los Angeles is changing now. We can see it with our own eyes. But man, you still drive t- down certain streets. You still like cru- if you ever go down to Redondo or yep. if you drive around certain places like. It's still there. These oh, weird yeah. little apartment complexes. Oh yeah, are those still are, like with that weird fountain in the middle. LA and, like, is full of those. Yeah. to this day. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's so you can still see this this Los Angeles there. I always sort of regret. Uh, you know, everybody always has that feeling like they arrived in a city f- five years too late. Yes. you know what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I wish I was in New York for the CBGBs, and I wish I got to LA when you could actually drive back and forth to the beach without having it be a full day excursion. This L.A. is very un- unpopulated. It feels like it's either for the very rich or for the people who have kind of come to the end of their loose end, you know. Yeah. And uh, it's it's an, an intoxicating place to live in and to visit for this movie. So, it, yeah, the setting. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that just just to spin off what you said, L.A. is still still a place where you can still go on a I mean, you can go on a Big Lebowski tour. Right. Yeah. Right. But you can also still go on a Raymond Chandler's L.A. tour. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can I'm sure you can go on a, like a Kardashian's tour. You know, what I mean, but like it's all still that here present around us. Yeah. It doesn't. It's not like New York where like as soon as as soon as a block gets hot, then like all of the la- the Chinese laundries are out and bars are in, you yeah. know, and like overnight it's there's still room for history. here. The one time they tried to do a little bit of of technology is Jackie Treehorn's talking about <laughs> there's still a lot of exciting things uh, happening with electronic erotica. But see, to me, that actually, that aged beautifully. Yeah, I like, know, that's that the did. thing. Is yeah, that it's he's, like, we just had this story about how you yes. can put celebrities on porn actors' heads <laughs> deep, in deep VR. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that that's basically what Jackie Dream was talking yeah. about 20 years ago. That's a great scene, too. We didn't mention yeah, that earlier. That but, it's, but that, I mean, I think part of that, as opposed to the rest of the movie, sort of is you set it aside a little bit because it's different in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That scene is different, but yeah. It, but it does, but it is just a beautiful sort of like just isolated scene. It's, it's very... And it's, you still have that experience here where you wind up at a party and you're like, man, this is like... A little bit above my pay grade. To oh, I've been to those parties. Yeah, yeah we're just like, how did I wind up in this house? Yeah, and like, when are they going to throw me out? Did anything age badly? Did is anything age the worst in this movie? I could not personally come up with a, <sighs> a nominee for this. I, I have, I have, I had a lot of question marks because I was trying really hard to figure this out. Yeah, of all of the characters. It's sacrilege, I know, but Torturo is a. I asked myself the question if that character in another movie would have, if we would have like been bringing that up and right. as the answer to this. My own, my other question is, and this is not just like aged well or aged the worst, but just in general about aging. If this movie were made, were remade today, how much different would this movie have been if if the dude was carrying around a vape pen? the whole time instead yeah. of a joint. <laughs> oh, well, you couldn't, you could have, there would be uh, that joke where he, you know, the, the sight gag where he drops the joint on yeah, his lap. Yeah, you can't do that's that at gone. all. A whole bunch of stuff is gone. But there's a romanticism of the yes. guy with like the tiny roach in his hand, just <laughs> yeah, like, right. you know, and it's not, and it, it would be, that. that's the weird, weirdly just like, at, like marijuana is like totally mainstream now in a way that it certainly wasn't right. back then. 
But that's that's the biggest change. I mean, you couldn't that that character. I'm sure that character exists. There's still lots yeah. of guys smoking J's. You can go to the MedMen and buy one. But weed culture is a different thing now than it was. And this movie probably had something to do with that. It's true. This Totoro thing is a little tough if you examine it. If, it, yeah. if you keep it unexamined, it's hilarious. Yes, um, you, yeah. If you dig underneath, and I feel a little similarly about Bunny Lebowski. That yeah. whole mm. given everything that happened to Tara Reid over the last twenty years. Mm. Basically, the way that that character is positioned in the movie is like she's a dumb porn actress, right. trophy wife, gold digger, and that's it. Yes, and like there's no, there's nothing else, and that's okay. It's okay to have broad caricature. A lot of the movie yeah. is broad caricature, but if we want to like examine the cultural politics of this movie, this is not great. So there was supposed to be. I, I really don't know if this will ever happen, but there is supposed to be a, a Jesus yeah. sequel, <laughs> like a spinoff movie that that Totoro was largely kind of behind. I don't know if that, I think the Coens. It was shot. It was shot. It was shot last year. He wrote and directed it. Totoro <laughs> wrote and directed it. It's called Going Places. Yes. It's simultaneously a remake of the 1974 French film starring Gerard Depardieu called Going Places. Very yeah. problematic and, film. Very problematic film. And a sequel to this movie. It also stars, I think, Bobby Cannavale. Um, I don't know when it's coming out, but it was shot. And it had, it had the Coens... Blessing? Maybe, maybe private blessing, we'd right. say. Okay. This is not the kind of thing they would well, tweet about. Right. Do they tweet? No, no. <laughs> I think the, the problematic uh, issues of going places comport with what we know of Jesus' character. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That he's, he's a child sex abuser. <laughs> <laughs> like, accused uh, of it. Yeah. Wow. I, this is actually shocking news to me. So, Katara claims that this movie explains his background and that he is not, that he was, like, framed for pedophilia. You know, uh, Great. Well, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> he was we'll also, do that rewatch and 20 Turturro, years from Turturro now. was also, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, he wasn't a huge fan of his own performance. I think he was a fan of the movie. Oh, he yeah. was like, yeah. I, I didn't get it at first. Right. Yeah. And, and then he came around. Well, I'm sure because everybody yeah, because, yeah, he's right. largely recognized as a character from this movie, all for better or for worse. Um, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll be back with more rewards for the rewatchables. Big Lebowski. Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Filmstruck. Every time you turn around, it seems like there's another new original series streaming somewhere. And yeah, a lot of them are pretty good. But what if you love movies? Today, there's really only one streaming choice for people who love movies, and that's Filmstruck. I adore this service. Created especially for fans of not just movies, but some of the greatest films ever made. Filmstruck now features Turner Classic Movies TCM Select, an exclusive collection of iconic classics from the golden age of Hollywood. This is essentially film school in your computer. Like, you can just learn everything about world cinema, about American cinema from Filmstruck. Think Casablanca, think Singing in the Rain, Rebel Without a Cause, and way more. New titles are added each week, and Filmstruck has classic movies of all kinds, along with art house indie, foreign, and cult films. And Filmstruck is also the exclusive streaming home of the Criterion Collection. You can get lost in the library, man. Get lost in the stacks here. If you know movies, you know Criterion. So yeah, all those streaming services, they are okay, but only Filmstruck has the greats. For a free 14-day trial, visit filmstruck.com today. You will not be sorry. That is filmstruck.com for a free 14-day trial. Okay, guys, we are back. The Rewatchables, Big Lebowski, and we're going to continue along with the awards. I'll just give you guys a couple of half-assed internet research corner yes. tidbits here that I found. In the original script, Tara Reid's character, Bunny Lebowski, her real name is fought, uh, in the movie, her name is uh, Fawn Knudsen. But in the original script, she is named Fawn Gunderson, which suggests Ooh. that she is part of, she's related to Marge Gunderson somehow. Uh, that, so the, the 
Coen Brothers Expanded Universe, always working there. <laughs> like I said before, Walter Sobchak is partly based on Apocalypse Now screenwriter John Milius. Uh, he, the, a lot of these guys are based on people that the Coens sort of met in their time in Los Angeles, whether it was people who sort of helped, helped finance. There's a USC teacher named, I believe, Peter Exline, who the dude is largely based off of. But mm-hmm. the dude is also largely based off Jeff Bridges and guys that Jeff Bridges knew in L.A. in the 60s and 70s. And Jeff Dowd, too, right? Mm-hmm. There's Jeff another, Dowd is yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's, there's like, a, it's all of these guys are kind of composite figures. Yeah. Um, which is, it, it's an interesting thing. I wonder if they actually got those people's blessings before they went ahead with this. Because for someone like Dowd, Dowd has really made a lot of this. He yeah. appears at every Lebowski fest, and I he's wonder like a how part much, of the mythology. I, I was watching, that. there's a mini doc that I saw on like Uproxx or something about him and going to Lebowski fest, and I, I couldn't help but wonder how much he had sort of become the character that was based on him yeah. over yes. the intervening years. Yeah, you believe what you believe your own myth. Yeah, yeah. This was the part that I, I it was edited out of the movie or it was in the original script or whatever. But these two sort of like parallel facts: one that the dude's money came from a trust fund because he was heir to the Rubik's cube fortune, <laughs> <laughs> and and two that at the end of the movie, it, the the dude reveals that Walter was not a vet at all; that he never never went to Vietnam. Oh my god! And that that actually lines up more with the Milius you know, origin yes, story or whatever. Right. But he those was two, just a guy who read Soldiers of Fortune. Yeah. yeah. I'm so happy that I didn't know either of those things the first 30 times I saw the movie. But that was, but that's sort of, it's those are sort of mind-blowing ideas. All right. Best Heat Check performance by a role player, Man. the Dion Waiters Award. This is one of the best fields we've ever had for this. Philip Seymour Hoffman as Brant. Tara Reid as Bunny. Peter Stormar as Uli Kunkel, yeah. the nihilist. That guy. David Thewlis <laughs> as Knox Harrington. Uli and Jimmy Dale Gilmore, the country music legend, member of the Flatlanders, yeah. as Smokey. <laughs> I got, I got more. Hit me. Dom Irera as the limo Dom driver <laughs> comes in very, very hot so with hot. a spinal tapish moment. <laughs> yes. Oh wow! Yes, and then is gone. That's that's great stuff. Yeah. I mean, Flea is yeah. in this Flea. movie. Amy uh, Mann. Amy Mann. I. I think Flea is bad in this movie. Shout out to Flea, but I, I think that he's like so cartoonish that yeah. it takes me out of it. Yeah. Um, David Huddleston, I think, also is the, yeah. the big Lebowski. Is so funny. I don't know, Jason. Who do you like? I I will go with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. This is a study, as you can see, the various commendations, awards, citations, honorary degrees, mm. etc. Mm, very impressive. Oh, please feel free to inspect them, because he's like. Almost in a different scene in all of the scenes that he's in, but it is so good. Like he's, it's rare that an, that a comedic performance uh, works when the actor is kind of winking, and he is kind of winking there. But it's just like incredible. All his little, uh, the little things he does with his body. We talk about the way he like he he has this incredible laugh. Just <laughs> after the very yeah. Hoffman's laugh, reaction, like, slapping his thighs to Tara yeah. Reid. Yes. Is is one of the great things ever. Oh, yeah. She's just like Brent has to pay if he wants to watch or whatever the line is. Like he also there's a good echo in that moment too, where earlier he's talking about Nancy Reagan and he says, "Oh yes, the first lady, wonderful woman." Right. And then when Bunny Lebowski is talking right. later, he's like, "Oh, wonderful woman." Yeah. He has like eleven things he knows how to say. And when the dude is is kind of looking over the Big Lebowski's various plaques and pictures, uh, how nervous 
Hoffman, is, uh, how nervous Brandt is about him touching them <laughs> is just incredible. Yeah, and, but there's a different, I like what you said about him being in a different movie. Yeah. It, that, it's, that's, that nervousness is different than the, like the palpable anxiety as when he's sitting in the backseat of the limos. Yes. Yeah. And, yep. he, and you, it, just the juxtaposition to the big Lebowski is yeah. making, is like, where is it's totally different it than when he's like, these yeah. are the little Lebowski urban achievers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Hoffman's so good in this. Uh, I mean, like the you know, Stormaro is probably like has has become more of like a cultural figure out of this. Between this and Mm -hmm. Fargo, he just has uh, Transformers. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Such a such an incredible uh, you know reputation. But I I don't see how you could be better than Hoffman here. Yeah, so many people in this movie were sort of playing if not platonic ideals of themselves or of the character, then like a lot, they, they played these roles after this movie a number, enough times that it's hard to really just point at this role yeah. and say, I mean, uh, Hoffman's a good example. Sam Elliott's obviously playing just Himself. like Sam yeah. Elliott. Um, uh, you know, Turturro and Thulis are the two that just like, that sort of meet the heat check definition for me, but yeah. neither of those performances are particularly my favorite ones in the film. So it's, I, I'm, I'm sort of all I over I almost the place put Turturro in the like, He's actually just like a supporting actor in this movie rather than yes. even though I think Brant's on screen as much as the he is. in two and a half scenes. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But it feels like he's in this. He's the entire second act of the movie oh, yeah, for some yeah, reason. Yeah. Just because of the amount of time they spend doing the ball washing mm-hmm. and the and just like the Hotel California scene is the Gypsy Kings cover of it. Him licking the balm never leaves your brain for it two never, hours. Yeah, so that's uh, just that he's always present. I think also. Um, Ben Gazzara as Jackie Treehorn is pretty underrated. Yeah. Oh, you gotta yeah. be a particular kind of guy to pull off the like white suit, that slick Malibu yeah. rich guy you feel mentality. The coming off yeah, yeah, he's like a bad guy who's done bad things, and he really communicates that very quickly. Also, I love also the Malibu sheriff guy who's just like <laughs> basically does the Malibu. He does the like the the John Houston from Chinatown speech. He's yes. like, draws a lot of water here, Lebowski. <laughs> you don't, you know. The uh, Jackie Treehorn sight gag where. He's on the phone, you know, and he's very, very studiously scribbling something on a pad, yeah. and it's obviously an important conversation. And the dude is watching this, and then as soon as uh, Jackie Trehorn leaves the room, the trace. dude runs over to the pad, tries to, you know, does the old trick where you trace, you kind of scribble on the on the sheet below, and then it's like a a doodle of a guy with a huge erection. <laughs> <laughs> One of the top three moments my, that I've la- like hardest laughs I've ever given in a theater. For it. Go ahead, John. My, my favorite part of that is when I, I, you know, obviously knew it was coming when I was rewatching it last night, and I don't think I realized quite so clearly how Gazera, after he does the doodle, rips the paper <laughs> off the pad, folds it, and puts it in his pocket as if it's an important document. Is so that whole segment is genius. It's the, it's, it's, it definitely feels like the most choreographed scene in the whole movie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's from cameras to everything else. Yes. Like when yeah. dude looks and he's down, sitting in the beanbag. Kind yeah. of, yeah, and he yeah, just yeah. Likes to get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing, an amazing scene. All right, uh, I'm going to give this one to Hoffman, but there's a lot of honorable mentions there. Uh, Apex Mountain. Um, this is tough, or is it? Is there anything better in this movie than Goodman? Is there ever yeah. been anything better in the world than Goodman yeah. in this movie? He's got every line is just you know. You see what happens, Larry? You see what happens? This is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass, Larry. This is what happens, Larry. You see what happens, Larry? That's what happens when you fuck a man in the ass yeah. as he's destroying the, a car. the TV you know, like, version of it is that's what happens when you fuck a man in the <laughs> Alps? Yeah. What is it? It can't be fuck. What is it? It was... 
it, it's I, whatever. It's like you screw a man in the Alps or yeah. something like that. You know, uh, they are. No, no. It, this, this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> that's even better. That was, this is like the double reference because the fucking the ass thing came from came from Jesus, right? Yeah. And then and then the stranger is obviously a call is a call to the the stranger from the story. Yeah. But yeah. When you when you find it when you find a stranger in the Alps, it's oh just God. legendary. Every line reading he gives, I mean, they show up at that house because the dude finds like the book the kid's book report, right? And then mm-hmm. so Walter like has it in a Ziploc bag in a briefcase, like as if it's actual Evi- it's evidence, evidence of yeah. something. And then Amazing. they show up at the guy's house, and the and the kid's father was like some. Television he wrote, writer branded. He wrote a hundred episodes of branded. <laughs> and just how delighted Walter is by and a good day to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> um, they were originally going to make this movie before Fargo and yeah. couldn't because Goodman was shooting Roseanne. It's just such a pure. I mean, he's been in so many Coen Brothers movies. Yeah. He's given so many great performances in Coen Brothers movies, but this is really one of the iconic performances, yeah. like of the last. 20 years. I heard mm-hmm. Goodman on uh, Howard Stern a couple of years ago, and it was just like the most heartening conversation I've ever had where it, it's Howard is basically telling him he's a genius the whole time, and John Goodman is like surprised to hear that anybody thinks anything he's ever done is good. Mm. And he's obviously like a very insecure guy and very thoughtful guy. And in this movie, like it, it's such a cliche to say that someone is transformative and yeah. that they like slip into something, but I, I, I definitely am like, Walter Sobchak is is in a Ralph's right now, yeah. wandering around like with yeah. a piece in, in on his ankle. You know, yeah. like I just I buy it. He's so in much. the dairy section with a twenty two, and his, right. exactly. Yeah. Um, all right, so there's Goodman, Bridges. Well, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know, uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Uh, Are you employed, sir? Employed? So it's hard for all of these, uh, for all of the actors in this film because of the way that th- our perception of this film changed their careers. But I think that it's really easy to overest to, to overlook how much this was transformative for Bridges and how like he this was a yeah like he he you know got to play himself in a lot of ways but he sort of just like called his shot and embodied the role to such a degree that you don't that he, it's you don't even get credit for it half the time has, you know? he, but has he done so a movie great. with short hair since then it, it, some of the stuff he, where he just like turns up in a movie to be like the, the captain of the firehouse for yeah. two scenes like he's in only the brave yeah. And he's just like just a dude in jeans, and he's like, "You got to get out there and get it done." One thing that did happen, <laughs> like that's that's it, though. I think the, Shoemaker makes a great point. Yeah. Like, uh, basically, if you look at every performance he gave before this, he was the handsomest guy mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah, and he he yep. he enunciated, and he was never seemed like dippy. Yeah. Even in Starman, where he's like a kind of a floating alien figure, like he still is connecting. And this is the first movie, and basically almost every performance since then is he sounds like he's from Oklahoma, yeah. even though he grew up in Los Angeles. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is mu- he mumbles his words Some in a strange real John way. Fogarty. Like I thought you were from Bakersfield, totally. so why are you from the Bayou now? Kind yeah. of yeah. yeah. And like, how, why did he adopt that persona? And also, like, he seems more comfortable acting this way than he yeah. did in like Jagged Edge. If you I, watch him in Jagged, Jagged Edge now, Edge. you're like, what's going on here? This isn't Jeff Bridges. And his time, I mean, his, uh, obviously I wasn't paying a ton of attention to the career arc of Jeff Bridges in like the 90s or whatever, but I don't, he wasn't doing a lot of like, he, he, it was not like he was like lining up the Oscars before this movie happened. He had right. a good run and then sort of there was a dip 
I mean, I when I saw this movie, John Goodman was the most famous person in it by far. Like mm-hmm. when it when it first mm-hmm. came out, just because of Roseanne, Big you know, TV. he was yeah. on TV every yeah. week. You know? Yeah, he had done like I think that you know Jeff Bridges is earlier in his career. He has a couple of like sort of really cool thrillers, like A Million Ways to Die and Jagged Edge, and then you know he did Tucker, the Man in His Dream, that right. famous Coppola disaster. And then after that, kind of kicks around. He does like Fabulous Baker Boys, and Fisher King was a big deal. Sure, he was a B plus movie. Yeah, star. Vanishing right. was supposed to be a big deal. It wasn't. Fearless was like actually a great movie, but kind of underrated. Blown away. Simmons like enjoys that a lot. Just to make fun of. <laughs> Wild Bill was supposed to be this incredible sprawling epic. It wound up being kind no. of like. Not that great. White Squall, like, it's just, like, a lot of near misses. And then against Lebowski. Against all odds. Yeah. Shouts to against all odds. Against all odds. And then after Lebowski, you know, he still has some misses, like Arlington Road. But it's more like the contender and, yeah. you know, Seabiscuit. And he's just showing up and, like, does his does his job. I have this weird theory that I can't quite articulate that so Jeff Bridges and Harrison Ford are essentially on the same career path for a while there. <laughs> and, you know... Harrison Ford gets to be in Raiders and Star Wars, and Jeff Bridges winds up in Tron, and like that—that's where the the roads <laughs> to deviate. Yeah. But that Harrison Ford is actually more like the dude in real life <laughs> than Jeff Bridges is. But Jeff Bridges is now like forced to adopt Harrison Ford's private persona publicly. <laughs> so is this like um. That's like, funny. Uh, is he tortured by this? No, yeah. I don't think either of them are particularly tortured. They're both like incredibly rich guys who have like <laughs> multiple ranches. But I just think it's interesting that Harrison Ford every once in a while has to get a haircut and stop smoking weed right, all yeah. day long and take he, the earring out right. and like show up for Blade Runner That's or so you know or like the morning show movie he made with Rachel McAdams. It's funny. I mean, I think of. I mean, just based on interview, obviously Harrison Ford is incredibly in in like not insular he's very much in his own head he's, yeah, he's yeah. a thoughtful person but doesn't reveal any of that but just based on you know my you know fan fiction i think bridges a, seems like a much more thoughtful you know introspective yes. guy whereas crashing a plane on a golf course seems like something the dude would do if yeah. he ever got to fly That's i think he probably would have he probably would have struggled with the with the career, with the harrison ford career arc but i li- i like the i like thinking about him as a leading man Bridges before this, just because obviously the Coen brothers have a sort of their own little fascination with taking the Clooney's of the world and putting mm-hmm. oil all over their faces, yeah, you know? making them look ridiculous. And he yeah. and Bridges of all of them, he embodied that he embodied this part to such a degree that you don't. It's not a gag, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, yeah. this is it's it's really great stuff. Is it Apex Mountain for Buscemi? Mm, it no. is for the consciousness of Buscemi. <laughs> you know, like Buscemi, I think before this was Mr. Pink, and he was a guy who was in a lot of indies. This is actually a pretty big role for him at this stage of his career. And then basically from this point forward, you know who Steve Buscemi is. Mm-hmm. You know what his name is. You know how to pronounce it. Um, he's not just a that guy. He's Steve Buscemi. I, yeah. Remember, yeah. I remember discussing the pronunciation of his name with friends. Like that, that, that was when, – when we figured it out, that was big for Steve. It was <laughs> Steve Buscemi at times. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, people yeah. Would get it wrong. This is also a, an against-type movie when it came out for Steve Buscemi because he was like the tough yeah, guy. Yeah, he was Mink from Miller's Crossing. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden he's this very sincere, slightly dopey guy who does not understand what is going on around him. Mm-hmm. Totoro. Is it his apex mountain? Mm-hmm. I'm a huge, I'm a big Kanish guy yeah. from Rounders. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Maybe this is a game that can truck. be beat. <laughs> so, no, not for me. Uh, Cohen Brothers. No, 
Yeah, I know. There are movies that I think are better than this. It's hard for me to say it's, it's that hard. when they don't yeah. think it is. I don't yeah. know what they think is their best movie, mm-hmm. but they're sort of oh. a little dismissive about this one. Yeah, I think that they saw they saw it as a small movie or as just a way to kind of fill the time. I'm sure right. they loved every little twist and turn when they were creating it, but you know they have they have they they would rank it. They would not rank this at the top. I don't have a lot of nitpicks for this for this film. I I, I guess the dude's landlord is is like an extra thread that I don't know if we need, but it's not like a nitpick. I don't really. Do you guys Marty? mean? Yeah, they do go to <laughs> they, they do go to the dance recital. I know. I guess they need to be at the dance recital. There's that great conversation right. there. The best, one of the best lines in the movie, though, is can you give me notes? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'd like you to come and give yeah. me notes. It's just worth it for that. That's also just some L.A. shit that you yeah, don't hear like, in any other town. It's true. Do you have yeah. any nitpicks? No, no. I, I, I actually like that scene. I mean, I just, again, doing too much research, you can you sort of can reverse engineer so much of the movie. And I, I read that Thulis was Thulis's character was brought in solely because they realized the scene was all exposition and was just going to go and was just going to be boring. <laughs> so they just wrote a character in to make the scene not boring. To make the, to make, oh yeah, right. So, and, and I feel like it was a similar thing. I mean, the, the dance recital was just a setting for other things to happen, but also a beautiful contrivance. And you can just sort yeah. of see that, see, like see the thought process. It's an incredible on. bit. Shoemaker said earlier that he's not super into the, um, you know, sort of the big dance sequences slash like the hallucinations. I wonder if that stuff, like hmm. I like it as an acknowledgement of like, we're also super into Busby Berkeley movies. Right. And mm-hmm. this is an acid flashback. Like I like it as a referential idea, but rewatching the movie, it's like one of the few it's things skip. I can skip. Yeah, it's like um, Anchorman. It's like you just skip past the, right. the flute section. Or it's <laughs> like what I talk, I say this to you before, it's like the the italics chapters in crime novels. This is sort of just masturbatory. I think right. for me it's kind of like the ending, which is I remember being shocked that the movie was over when all of a sudden it was just over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was not sure where we were in terms of the various MacGuffins. Uh, is uh, the dude going to have a child? Uh where is where is Bunny Lebowski? I didn't I didn't I had no closure on what was happening. So I think at the time uh, that bothered me, but that's grown on me since. It just makes more. It makes sense within the context of the film. But that said, at the time, I was like, "Wait, it's over." Yeah, yeah. The nip, that, that's a good that's a good nitpick. Um, would this movie have been better with Danny Trejo? I think unequivocally, yes. Who's he playing? Jesus? I'm, no, I just mean add him in in any scene. It's so literally. weird because uh, there's so many people in this movie playing against type, whether or not not as actors necessarily, but their characters are sort of deliberately inverted, right? Like right. the thugs the, in the very first scene like are a just... a surfer guy yeah. and an yeah. Asian dude, yeah. Uh, and Trejo is like so fully, is like this self-aware parody that it, yeah. it, it, it would have graded a little bit to me. And, but I loved it, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think it would have worked fine. Uh, the Mark Ruffalo spotlight, they knew Robbie! Yeah, it's hard to do that. Overacting award... I'm going to go with Julianne Moore. Very, like, jacked up performance. Yeah. She came in basically, like, right off the set of Lost World, of of Jurassic Park Lost World. She comes into the movie full frontal nude on a harness. (laughs) So, (laughs) I'm saying... (laughs) Uh, Based on a real person. Yeah. Right? Based on uh, a... a modern artist from the 70s. And Yoko Ono, apparently. And Yoko Ono, but yeah. also Carolee Vandenhorn. I'm not, I can't, I can't recall the, the artist's name. Um, she, but I do, I said it a little bit earlier, but I do like that she's basically just doing Mary Astor in this yeah. movie. You know, she's just doing like the dame yeah. who wanders into Bogart's office. Yes. But is smarter than Bogart. They have a type. And, it's the Marcia Gay Harden Miller's Crossing. It's yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee in Hudsuckers. It's uh, Judy Davis in Barton Fink. It's the femme fatale. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. 
And also she has the she's the the key to unraveling the mystery, but that she for whatever reason doesn't reveal until the climax right. of the movie. I, right. She's also got that great line where they're watching the porno movie, <laughs> and uh, you know there's some dialogue goes by, and she goes, "The story is ridiculous." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she also says that's another. There's another callback there where she says. Um, in the parlance of our times, yes, the, she's banging Jackie Treehorn, <laughs> and, then, and then later the dude is in the Big Lebowski's limo, and he says, "In the parlance of our times," yeah, you know, yeah. like about something that is not in the parlance of <laughs> yeah. our times. Um, let's go to best quote. Did you guys have any other Mark Ruffalo nominees? Yeah, it's too hard for it's this. It's too one. hard. All yeah. right, let's do best quote. And this is like we could just stay here for another hour just reading the movie script. Uh, Sean, you mentioned this before. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Is <laughs> so good. Unfucking believable how good that line reading is. Delivery is perfect. <laughs> it is so good. What the fuck is this? Obviously, you're not a golfer. The fact that he, it's actually all the lines in that where he's like, "Does this place look like I'm fucking married?" Yeah. Man? <laughs> the toilet seat is up, man. <laughs> Do you see a wedding ring on my finger? Does this place look like I'm fucking married? The toilet seat's up, man. <laughs> and the fact that, you know what's perfect is that there's no toilet paper on the roll. It yeah, is like it's such top, a yeah. guy's apartment it's where it's like the toilet paper has not been put in the roll. Uh, this is an obscurity, I guess, from the Subcheck uh, collection, but 3,000 years of beautiful tradition from Moses <laughs> to Sandy Koufax, your goddamn light <laughs> living in the fucking past, is a really good one. I love his Judaism. I, I love yes. Walter's Judaism. Militant Judaism. Yeah. Um, life does not stop and start at your convenience, you miserable piece of shit. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Uh, that's, that's just a really good Walter line. Uh, obviously, it really tied the room together. Careful, man, there's a beverage, and nobody fucks with the Jesus. Did you guys have a specific one from this list or another one that you wanted to highlight for best quote? There's so many. The problem with this is this podcast already runs the risk of being four bros in a dorm yeah. quoting lines to yeah. each other, right? Now, I'm, I'm very conscious of that. I wonder and if yet, there will be any audience for this. Uh, <laughs> yes, there, there probably will be. But I, I still found myself laughing at the most hackneyed, overused sure. Overrepeated, like, shut the fuck up, Donnie. Vi Lennon, Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov yeah, <laughs> is is like just something I have probably said out loud like a thousand times for no reason. <laughs> I think you say it every time we've ever played golf. You've probably said it to yeah, me. When I yeah. So I, I, that's a big one. I think also the room that room that rug really had the room together. You know, there's yeah. like a few hallmarks. I don't know. What do you What do you like? I like uh, life does not stop and start at your convenience. I, I think the one, I mean, the lines that I came back to when watching it last night were the ones that I was like struggled mostly in vain to find deeper meaning in and to tie the whole movie together. There's a scene where where Walter says uh, like those are the fucking rules. There's a lot of reference to rules mm, yes. and like the way it, in yeah. a movie that uh, clearly is just thumbing its nose at them. And then in the very beginning, there's the there's where the guy's pissing on Lebowski's rug. There's the, the like ever to the deadbeats Lebowski, which is like a reference to Six Emperor Tyrannus. Yes. When they're like, and, and yeah. there's and there's just to like the amount of time I spent trying to tie this into the plot <laughs> of the movie made it meaningful. Like the actual whether or not it tied in was totally like the plot of the movie, totally secondary to the journey I went on trying to make it mean something. Mm -hmm. yeah. And now I'm just yeah. sort of obsessed with it. Uh, for me, it's. Uh Maud and the dude watching log jamming, and Bunny's like, "You must be here to fix the cable." And Maud goes, "Lord, you can imagine where it goes from there." 
<laughs> and the dude goes, he fixes the cable. <laughs> Don't be fatuous, Jeffrey. I love that part. <laughs> he That's fixes great. the cable. <laughs> That's incredible. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. Uh, I think we could probably all agree with uh, it really tied the room together but there's so many that we would want you're entering a world of pain you're entering a (laughs) world of pain this really becomes quite you hear that a lot yeah Uh, All right. this is probably the hardest one who won the movie Um, it's Bridges is it Goodman is it Turturro is it the Coens or is it the makers of Kahlua yeah. <laughs> the Kahlua lobby, definitely. They get a two-hour commercial. Yeah. yeah. That has been seen like a million times since then. Did you guys drink White Russians after you saw this? Were you I like, did. I should take I, them up? I, I drank White Russians before I saw this. Oh. That was my, I mean, I was like, whatever, in college. Wow. I don't think I've ever had a White Russian. Oh, they're good. They are um, excellent pound-adding drinks. Yeah, they're, they're it's just sugar and milk, Have three right? of those and you put on six pounds. Yeah, I definitely uh, had a white Russian phase after after seeing this. Did you ever have what was your like most I uh, like self-consciously like difficult drink that you would co- you would order a lot? Oh, it's this. This the white Russian. Did you guys ever have like a Tom Collins phase where like everybody else would be getting like Bud Lights and you'd be like I'll have a a whiskey sour, sir. No. No. I feel like the white Russian is perfect for this because one the the milk on the on the yeah. mustache yeah. is such a memorable visual item also do you want to point out his like he's the like messiest drink (laughs) but but also just like he's his body's all over the place and he's like hasn't shaved in a long time but when he gets the arm pulled behind his back and he's dragged from one limousine to the other and he's like you got a beverage here man and he gets thrown into the other limo he manages to not spill the drink you know the one thing he's managed to do in his life is not spill his drink it's a great like sort of call back to what happens in a lot of crime films from the 1930s to say the 1960s which is just people drink all day yeah like they are drinking if it could be like you the guy will be like i have to go meet this widow at 9 a.m and right. she's just like having whiskey and yeah. is like do you want a, a, like a scotch at 9 45 in the morning even though you've <laughs> yeah. driven here there is never any consideration for being completely obliterated by lunchtime in yes. these movies i like the fact that it keeps this up yeah i mean the, the way that the white russian I mean, just the the way that it could be filmed in a way that other mixed drinks cannot, sure. right? Just yeah. to see it, like, you know, splashing out of the, onto the carpet, is it's such a visual thing. That said, the, whoever, the, the guy they based Lebowski on apparently drank White Russian, so mm-hmm. it's, this yeah. is one of those, like, happy accidents that it's fun to read a lot of, yeah. Yeah. like, intentional meaning into. So who won the movie? I'm going to go with Bridges because it really defined the this last part of his career. Yeah. He is that guy now. I'm going to go with Turturro because he got an iconic character like true I think this is weirdly a more iconic character than 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 Bridges' character you know nobody Mm -hmm. fucks with the Jesus is like more in the in the imagination of yeah. people. And also he got to make a whole other movie out of this character. <laughs> I mean he got to have a huge segment of his career because of this character. So Totoro. Shoemaker. It's Bridges for me. Guys, it's Goodman. It's definitely Goodman. It's definitely just like one of the like funniest performances I've ever seen. So I'll yeah. go with Goodman there. Uh, thank you to Jason Concepcion, to Sean Fennessy, to David Shoemaker for joining me. I'm Chris Ryan. This has been the Rewatchables, the Big Lebowski. Yeah.
Today's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Filmstruck. There's really only one streaming choice for people who love movies, and it's Filmstruck, created especially for fans of not just movies, but the greatest movies ever made. Filmstruck features Turner Classic Movies' TCM Select, an exclusive collection of iconic classics from the golden age of Hollywood. Think Casablanca, think Singing in the Rain, Rebel Without a Cause, and way more, with new titles added each week for a free 14-day trial Visit filmstruck.com today. That's filmstruck.com today for a free 14-day trial.